Well, good morning from me. Uh, great to see you all. If you're <clears throat> young and want to draw to help follow the sermon, why not draw Aslan this morning, the lion, and how they shaved him, and then maybe draw him dying for the guilty Edmund, and then make sure you draw him risen again with his mane fully back and blossoming beautifully. So you've got quite the task today, because that really grasps my sermon this morning. Every few years I preach on the subject of shame, um, and I ever will do, as long as the Lord gives me faculties, because we all at times feel great shame. Um, I'm indebted to an American called Kevin D. Young, who's got a great sermon on Jesus and shame, which has helped me a lot get ready for uh, this sermon. Um, I used to have a friend, well I've still got a friend, but I used to have a friend, uh, and he said, our country has forgotten how to blush. And what he meant by that was, we don't feel shame anymore. And that's why we've stopped valuing Jesus, because he delivers people from shame and forgives them. And he says, oh, the adverts that we watch, they're so rude and shameful, but we don't blush at them anymore, and we're becoming hard. And he says, that's a bad thing for our nation. And that is true. And that's a different sermon, though, from the one I want to preach on today which is for those who already feel shame in some degree or another. The ones who have come here this morning smiling or listening at home smiling, but secretly you carry a burden of shame and you need help. So here's a question. Um, have you ever had embarrassing moments in your life causing you to feel shame? Well, I wrote down some ones, because uh, I'm dull, it happens to me all the time. But uh, I remember once I hugged the wrong woman, I thought it was my mum, and then I looked and it wasn't my mum. So that was awkward. Um, once it I thought my dad had pulled up the car once, and I got in the car, and I looked up to the person driving, it wasn't my dad, I got in the wrong car. So some stranger had me get in his car and put the seatbelt on. It was the same car, see? So <laughs> Anyway... Um, I remember once um, I was looking for a train ticket for about 45 minutes around the house and it was in my mouth. You ever done that one when you got it like that and you're looking around? All the time, moments for me to feel stupid and ashamed. But those are quite sort of light, transitory moments, uh, issues. Sometimes it gets a lot more serious and we feel shame for uh, trying to fit in and we can't and we come home from school or work feeling ashamed. Sometimes we are ashamed of our weight, or appearance, or our smell, or our teeth, or our looks, or our career, or we've not been good at the thing we wanted to be good at. And then even more than that, we have hidden shame that we would never tell anybody else. Sins that we've committed against others. Now, since being a Christian, I'm convinced I'm far more rotten than I was before because now we sin in the light of God and His grace. Now we carry His name. A non-Christian gets caught for doing bad things. We get caught, though, as Christians, but also we have shame of letting God's name down. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. When we're alone, we can commit uh, shameful deeds when not seen by other people. That's certainly my testimony. Maybe it's yours as well. And then there's another group, and you have been caused to feel shame by others unfairly. 
You remember that song in the 90s, or the 70s actually, it first came out, Killing Me Softly. And there's a line in it which says, I felt he found my letters and read each one out loud. And sometimes the treatment that we've received from other people cause great shame. So how does the Lord Jesus Christ and His church help with people feeling this morning a sense of shame? Whether it's self-inflicted, or you've been excluded, or it's private, or it's been forced on you, or it's misplaced and unwarranted. We have an account in Mark chapter 15. And what's interesting is, Mark doesn't give us too much details about the physical sufferings of the crucifixion. Did you notice um, that? He wants us to grasp something else. Now, if you were directing a movie about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would not ask Mark to direct it. You'd probably ask Mel Gibson or something like that instead. With Mark, there's no drama. Not really. Verse 24 says, And they crucified him. And that's pretty much it for the physicality. It just passes Mark by. Why? Because Mark wants you to grasp something else, not so much the physical sufferings. Did you know that the cross was such a brutal way to kill people, having your legs broken was a luxury because you would die quicker. But Mark doesn't really get into that. Did you know that even early Roman centurions and soldiers were writing against the mode of crucifixion on a cross because it was so brutal for even many Romans. It was barbaric. But Mark just goes, and they crucified um, in the Passion film by Mel Gibson, it's like three hours long of a man being brutally battered to death. And Mark didn't direct that film. Mark would have gone, right, here we go, roll cameras, and they crucify him. Right, fade to black. Because I want to write about something else. My point, says Mark, is not to feel sorry for a man being beaten up. I want to pick up on another theme. Namely, the shame that the living God has felt at the hands of humans. I'm going to reread some of our verses, and here's a quiz to keep you awake in this boiling hot church. Ready? It's list the ridicule, the items of ridicule that the Lord Jesus experiences. The rejection. Here's 16 to 19. I'll read it slowly. The soldiers led Jesus away into the place, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spat on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes and they led him out to crucify him. Soldiers! There could be up to 600 in a praetorium. What are they doing? Hail your highness! Put a reed in his hand! Beat him! Mock him! Spit on him! 
irreverent kneeling before the one who calls himself the Christ. And Jesus wouldn't have been there rolling his eyes because this wasn't banter when they're kneeling. They've beaten him half to death. Then they take him in verse 22 to Golgotha, the place of the skull, the dark place, the bald head. And what do they offer him there? A drink to further cause him pain, to humiliate him, which doesn't quench his thirst. And it would make it worse had he drank it. Then in verse 23, they divide up his clothes. Have you ever been stripped naked in public? Probably not. If I have a recurring nightmare as a minister that I come before you to preach and I look down and I've got nothing on. And I wake up in a sweat because it's a nightmare. But here the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't wake up from a nightmare. He goes through it publicly. The Jews give him a loincloth as the immodesty and mockery continues. Imagine looking down and people are playing dice for your clothes before you. Utter humiliation. That is why Dave read, probably from the first time from the pulpit of Park End, the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan in a moving scene being shaved and mocked by sinners. And then, in verse 29, this one's a fascinating one. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, So, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. Those people don't even know who he is. They're just walking past and they join in, hurling insults at the Lord Jesus Christ. The word in Greek is blasphemoun which are four-letter words that you wouldn't use around your mother-in-law or around the dinner table. You this. You piece of that. And off they go, just passing by on their way home for dinner, not to think of him again. You are going to tear down the temple. Start here. The passers-by mocking God. Have you ever had a dark look cast at you by someone you don't even know? How worthless and small you can feel. What are the chief priests saying in verse 31? <laughs> he healed the sick. He cannot even heal himself. And then in verse 32, the rapists and the murderers on a cross next to him join in as well. Mr. Messiah, send some salvation my way. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Mark's account of the remarkable rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Later, or before, sorry, Peter has denied him. His friends couldn't watch for him even for an hour. Judas has sold him for money. People lie about him in a cowboy court in the night. Pilate is a coward, and the crowds prefer to have Barabbas than him, the same crowds that he's given his life to help. And why, oh why, is this here? Here's the page before in Mark 14. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized Jesus, the young man fled away naked, leaving his garment behind. Now that was probably Mark, the writer of this gospel. And he's hanging around with Jesus, but the mere thought of being associated with him and being seen with him, he runs and his clothes fall off, come off, and he runs into the woods. I would rather flee naked 
than stand next to the Lord Jesus Christ. Another illustration of utter abandonment and shame. And so I ask us as we gather here together, has there ever been a man treated, ever been a man treated so less than he deserves bearing this shame? He gave sight to the blind. He lifted up women. He welcomed children. He gave himself to 12 undeserving friends. He brought the dead back to life so loved ones could see them for one last time. So again I ask Park End and people at home, has there ever been a man treated so much less than he deserves by people so utterly beneath him? Sometimes we get hurt by people if we ask them and they ignore us or they don't give us a time of day or we help someone and they walk away from us in the end. But it's us. We're not above anybody. We're sinners just like the people who hurt us. But the Lord Jesus was dignified and honorable all the way to the core. And he is ridiculed here by people who should be his subject, not his master. Elsewhere in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the witch says to the lion, How do I know you'll keep your word? And he roars. And she's frightful and fearful. Oh, okay, he'll keep it. He's a man of honor. He's a lion of honor. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ was. And so here was my opening question. Why does Mark put it like this? It is not to feel sorry for the physical sufferings of the Lord Jesus, because Mark would have gored it up. I think, with the authority of Scripture, it is so we grasp this this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ bore sin, but he also bore shame. Shame. He knows shame. And he knows our shame. He knows the shame put on us by others. He went through that. He knows the shame that we have inflicted on others because he went through something very similar. And if you're a real honest Christian, you'd say, hey, if I was there, I'd be hurling insults too. They pinned him on the tree for my sins. He's experiencing all of that. I'm in this story as well. And then there's this category. Those here who have experienced misplaced shame. Things that you can't even talk to other people about. This passage is written for people who feel ashamed and they shouldn't. Jesus didn't deserve this. As ministers, we meet so many people who have been abused growing up. And they feel shame and they're made to feel worthless and stripped of all value. Others who will become Christians in this age that we live in, will be made to feel shame unfairly and unkindly. I think of the youngsters growing up as Christians. The morals and the codes that they'll hold to will be laughed at or even hated often by other people. And so, to those first who feel the shame of sin, Remember this from this passage. He knows how shameful we are, and yet He still came for us. He knows what we're capable of as fallen people, and yet He still came for us. This morning, the Lord Jesus Christ forgives 
real sin and the shame associated with it. He has been judged for His people on their behalf and He grafts them into His family and His church and His care. He gave His life for sinful, shameful people whose status has been stripped and lost and marred by sin. And here's a verse for you. If you carry the weight of prior sin, Psalm 103 verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. I meet people a lot and they say this, I can't forgive myself. What's the gospel message to such a person this morning? Stop making yourself more powerful than Jesus. Trust in the blood of the Lamb to cleanse your guilty conscience. Join church where we learn just how far the life of the Lord Jesus Christ can reach into ours. Tortured by our memories and our guilt and our shame and sleepless nights, lovers of Jesus find this. He chooses to remember our sins no more. He doesn't have amnesia. Oh, I forgot how bad you were. I've just remembered. No. I choose to remember your sins no more. That is who I am. Trust that. Don't chase forgiveness. You'll never earn it. You'll never find it. Rest in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And enjoy this verse. Well, actually, it's three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Ready? For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The shame of Mark 15. He went through it. Why? The joy which was before Him. What was that? Purchasing church and the members in church with His blood. And now to those, as we draw near to a close, who are carrying misplaced shame. The secret things. Those who have been made to feel shame by others see our God in Mark chapter 15. Walking the difficult walk of the human life. Going to the dark places that we could never even share with anyone. Here is one who is such an outsider. They crucified him outside of the city. See his arms open there for you. I know it. Tell me about it. This is for the shamed. Come to me and I will work through it with you. Go to me first. Come. And then also you'll find... He introduces church family too to also help you know the peace of God and get you through difficult times. Come to Christ. Church has never been an hour. It's life together. 
Not an hour on a Sunday. It's I've got these difficulties and church family come along and say, let me show how Christ can help you with this. Let the peace of God seep through every area of your life. This is the way of the living God. And as a family, let's do this. Listen to some of the greatest verses ever written. 1 Peter 2. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges right. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray and now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Did you see it? Jesus in his moment of shame entrusted himself to the one who judges rightly. The Father in heaven, He is going to put all the wrongs right. All my causes of shame will be exposed and made right by my heavenly Father. All evil in the world will be dealt with. And so I'm clinging on in this difficult chapter of my life. I am entrusting this episode to Him who judges rightly. How can I face another day? Will you remember that there's another chapter and a whole other book coming after Jesus' moment of shame? And it's utter exaltation. Utter exaltation. And the church will be with him in that as well. We have to pass through the difficult chapter to get to the exaltation. That is the way of the cross. Must I endure another moment with myself or with my partner or with my colleague or with my work or with my church or with my children? We remember Christ who went down and then was taken up. And I close with this story. It's about a boxer. A boxer that I liked. And he had a big fight once against Sugar Shane Mosley. And I was worried because Sugar Shane Mosley is a good fighter. And my guy had an unblemished record up to that point. And all the media were saying, that's it for Owen's guy. Well, they didn't say Owen's guy because they didn't know he was my guy. That's it for the, the boxer that's got an unblemished record. And so what happened is I couldn't bear to watch it. So I looked at the result first and my guy won. And then I watched the fight. And no, in the end, it made the fight all more wonderful. All the more wonderful. Because during the fight, my guy took a punch and got rocked. And nearly went down. And I thought, oh, I know the end. Oh, the end's all about better now. Go on, rock him. Go on, do your worst. Rock him. And then the ref got in the way and he's like, oh, are you all right? Do you want to stop? And I'm like, oh, I know the end. He's going to carry on. No, he's going to keep going. And then the corner of my guy were like, just about to throw the towel in. And I was like, you're not going to throw it in. Because I know the end. All will be well. I know the ending. I am entrusting the end to the fact that I know the results written on the BBC News. I will go through this chapter of my life entrusting myself to Him because I know the end. I know the end. 
Because I know the end of the Lord Jesus Christ's shame and suffering. Go on, Pharaoh. Keep refusing to let the people go. I know the end. Go on and put Joseph in the prison. We know the end. Go on, throw them in the lion's den. I dare you. We know the end for the mighty church of God. Go on, cockerel. Crow three times. It's a bad day for Peter, but I know how he turns out in the book of Acts. We know the end. And this morning we entrust ourselves to the living God and the glory therein. And we trust that we will one day be exalted like the Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.